there was an intense, a, a swift and a loud knocking on the door. It, it, was, it was so fast it kind of sounded like banging. And it was so loud that it woke up the person inside the house. And the man just laying down on the bed, woke up to, to, to banging on his door, and with puffy eyes and an itchy belly, he walks over to the door and opens it, and to his surprise, it's a member of his church. And he, he looks at, at the guy standing outside the door, the member of his church, and says, what are you doing here? And the member of his church says, we have to go. What? We have to, what does that mean? Is that code? I don't understand. And then again, the, the man outside the door says, we have to go. And, and again, the man in the house looks out and it's, it's, it's still dark outside, man. You, do you want to come inside for coffee? I can make you some tea. You, make sure you're all right. You dehydrated? Is that all right? You cool? Okay. He pauses him in the middle of his sentence and says, Paul, we have to go now. And suddenly those puffy eyes weren't so puffy anymore. In fact, they were wide. And Paul looked at the member of his church and said, okay, okay, give me a second, give me a second. Paul, he runs back into his house. He, he shakes the bed of his friend Silas and says, hey, it's time, we have to go. We have to go. Get your stuff, throw it in your bag, we're leaving. And so Silas is having a similar conversation that Paul had with the member of his church. He said, what? Who? Where? Why? And then he realizes, oh, snap. We have to go. So they put all their stuff in their bag and, and, and then they, they scurry out the door with a small group waiting outside of their house ready to guide them through the city. It was still dark out. Paul and Silas and a few members of his church are weaving in and out of the neighborhoods, staying in the shadows as not to be seen. They're hiding. They're trying to escape. And as they're weaving in and out, they're checking the corners, and they check one corner, and they can see into a town square, and there they see a mob, a giant mob with torches, banging on doors, going through people's houses, looking for them. From afar, Paul and Silas can see a member of their church being dragged out of their house in the, into the town square where they were being pummeled nearly to death. And Paul and Silas, tears welling up in their eyes. There's nothing they could do but watch. They had to escape. And if they didn't, their friend's sacrifice, their brother and sisters in Christ, their sacrifice would be in vain because they were doing that so Paul and Silas could escape. And eventually, as they're going through this giant town of Thessalonica, it's a modern day Greece, they finally find their way to the city gates. They get to the city gates. Sure enough, there's two guards posted up looking for them. So what do Paul and Silas do? They stay in the shadows. They wait. I suspect for hours waiting for these two men to just become distracted enough for them to weasel their way out. And as they wait, sure enough, 
while the guards are changing. It's empty for just a few seconds, just enough for Paul and Silas to scurry out of the town and out of the threat, and they run off into a nearby town called Berea. See, just a few weeks prior, Paul had planted a church in this massive city in Thessalonica. He planted a church, and there was a massive new wave of converts. There was a massive new wave of people who had just found Christ. And see, Paul, as as an apostle, as a teacher, as a pastor of sorts to these people, it was his job to disciple these new converts. They had just figured out this Jesus thing, and, and they were trying to figure out how to live the Christian life. And it was Paul's job to disciple them, to grow them. These immature believers who want to become mature in Christ, he took that on himself. Well, unfortunately, it was only three weeks after Paul had come to Thessalonica with this message of Jesus, with the gospel. It was only three weeks until he got driven out. See, the hostility was so harsh. The persecution, the opposition towards the message of Christ was so harsh that he was forced to leave the city. They hated him and they hated Jesus and they wanted to kill it at the source. So they were looking for Paul. And once he left, because of the hostility, he would not be able to come back. His, his unfinished work would remain unfinished. His discipleship of these young believers would stop. And so now in this giant city of Thessalonica, in this giant wave of new converts, they were left to themselves in a hostile environment, trying to figure out how to live the Christian life, how to do this Jesus thing, and what Christianity really is. And that is the context I want you guys to have as we're going in to our passage today. Uh, we're specifically going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. If not, soon enough it'll be on the screen. Uh, but while you're doing that, I want to fill in just a couple more gaps for you. See, as I alluded to before, um, the Christians in Thessalonica... Ooh-wee, look at that. Things flying, that's okay. The Christians in Thessalonica, they were being persecuted by the Jewish people, See, those were uh, God's people, but they rejected Jesus, and so uh, they, they wanted to stop Jesus' message at all costs, and the Roman civil authorities. So there's two groups, and usually they're not really fans of each other, but in this instance, they wanted to join hands and do everything they could to stop the message of Jesus. And so they were hardcore persecuting all the Christians in Thessalonica. And not only that, but these were young, 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 young Christians. I don't mean like they were 12 or 6. I mean they had only uh, been in the faith for a few weeks at most. And see, as I, as, as I mentioned, Paul was only there for three weeks. And so that, that hints that the most recent convert in Thessalonica was only three weeks old. The most mature Christian was only three weeks old. And then all the points, uh, uh, time up to that, the span is really, they're three weeks to a few days mature in Christ. And so they're just kind of left to their own devices, throwing their hands up. And see, it was typical of Paul to spend time with the church that he had just planted. See, there's an example, uh, uh, the, the story I just gave you is my own rendition of Acts 17 uh, of Paul and Thessalonica, and he was forced to escape. Uh, and just a chapter later in Acts 18, Paul plants a church in Corinth. 
And he stays in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half, to disciple the believers and, and grow them and grow the church and, and make it a fully functioning, amazing church. But he didn't get to do that with these, with these Thessalonians. And so Paul, he writes them this letter to fill in the gaps, 1 Thessalonians. This letter is kind of like an essentials to the faith guide. He's giving them the, very, the things that are very important for Christians to understand. Since they don't know much, since they're very new, they're trying to figure it out. So he writes them this letter. And this is where we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, reading some of Paul's essentials for the Christian life. You can go ahead and put it on the screen for me. It reads, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's a short passage, and that is, we're going to be tearing this apart for like the next, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you guys are along for the journey. Put your seatbelts on, and it'll be great. Uh, I'm going to make a few observations about uh, what's happening within this passage, and and by the end of it, I hope that it will craft our main point uh, that that we want to get at today. So the three commands that he gives to the young Christians is rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Those are the three. I'm, I'm a couple things. I'm a language nerd, so you guys are going to have to humor me for a little bit, uh, and, and we're going to dive deep into some of the language stuff that is going on in here. And one of the first things I want to point you guys to is notice how there aren't any conjunctions. I know I'm taking you back to first grade English. That's all right. You know what a con- conjunction is. It's, a, it's an and or a but or a who what or a what now. Uh, it's rejoice always. There's no and. Pray continually and give thanks. Oh, he didn't even say and. Sorry. I said that by myself. Give thanks in all things. See, what's interesting here is you're like, cool, Kendall. <laughs> There's no conjunctions. Now what? Uh, well, Maybe you've been in a Bible study or in community groups and you're reading a verse. You know, like, all right, like, hey, Timmy's going to read this one. Johnny's going to read that one. James is going to read this one. And, uh, and then it's your turn and you, you flip to your verse and then you read it a few times before you get to it. And you aren't really listening to what the other people are saying because you're so nervous that you don't want to mess up the verse you're reading. Uh, I do that um, a lot, actually, because I get nervous. But what often happens is when you read your verse... I, maybe it's just me, but when I read it, sometimes I feel like, especially when it's Paul's stuff, when I'm reading it, it's like, and God loves you, and Jesus will come back, and the kingdom will be eternal, and 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 there's no period. It's just and 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 or but but but, and then and then you do the the awkward thing where like everyone can tell you're getting out of breath because you're saying all the ands, and then you do the awkward. <gasps> So everyone knows, ha, it's funny, I got out of breath, oh, the verse is so long, uh, and everyone just, you know, that's just the only way around it, really, in my eyes, and so you do the, and then you keep going. See, Paul is a huge fan of conjunctions. He loves using ands, 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 buts, 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 and whatever other conjunction you can think about, but what's interesting 
is Paul doesn't use any conjunctions here. That's a stylistic device. It's called ascendaton. Ascendaton. Hey, humor a middle school pastor for just a second. Everybody say ascendaton on three. One, two, three. Ascendaton. Oh, wonderful. Ascendaton is a stylistic device where there's a lack of conjunctions in a section of, 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 of literature. And, and what this does is it creates, oh, look at that, another fancy word, staccato. It creates a staccato effect. I won't let you guys say that one. Um, staccato, it's a musical term that kind of got transliterated into literature. What it does, it, it, it's fast and choppy. You know, sometimes you listen to a song and there's just random notes that are just really fast and kind of ugly, but they kind of make sense. And it's, just, it's just slapping in your face. You don't know what happened. You leave on the other side kind of confused. That's what staccato is. And so that's kind of in literature how uh, when, when, when Paul writes, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all things. It's just fast, choppy, got to go. Next, next sentence, next sentence, next sentence. And because if you look at this passage of Scripture in the broader context of the passage, it's just the, the typical Paul thing. You know, up here it's, it's and do this and, and it, for the Christian life and keep going. And then rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all things. And then right after that, just kind of going off a normal melody. I say all of that to say, in your Bibles, this, this passage kind of lines up in the middle of a paragraph. But I think it's better to consider its own passage of Scripture because it separates itself. It is unique. It's, it's, it's isolated. In fact, in the Greek New Testament, they do isolate this passage to be its own section. And what Paul likes to do is in these sections, he creates a broader point in each, each section. A broader stroke. There's, 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 there's minute things going on, but each one has a broader, broader point to each section. And so, when we look at this, it can be easy just to read it and think, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Great. It's easy to just walk away with those three things. But I would like to suggest that there is a broader point that Paul is trying to get across by using these three commands and then underscoring it all with this is God's will for you. And so that's, that's what we're going to do today. And I think that's, that's the uh, point of what Paul is doing with the ascendaton and staccato. The, the best way I can kind of illustrate what Paul is trying to do here is maybe for some of you middle schoolers who are in the house or even high schoolers, uh, or maybe this still happens to you, you know, if you're married and have kids and whatnot. But, you know, it's early in the morning and you're walking downstairs and sure enough, there's a sticky note right on the, right on the counter. And the sticky note said, you know, in, in my case, like when I was in middle school, it would be like, I hope you have such a great day at school. Like it's from my mom. I hope you have such a great day from school. I love you. And then right under that, it's, it's a bullet point list of pick up the dog poop, take out the trash, clean your room. And see, I'm like, Mom, I'm 21, I know. But anyway, that's besides the point. She could have just said, do your chores. She could have just, like, honey, have a great day at school. I love you. Do your chores, please. No, 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 no. She felt the need to separate, take out the trash, pick up the dog poop, and clean your room, and separate that from everything else, just so I'd get the point, do your chores. And you know what's funny? She didn't actually say, do your chores in that note. But it felt like she said, do your chores three times. 
You know, that's that's what Paul is doing. It adds emphasis to the point he's really trying to get across. And so when we have these three commands, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, it makes me wonder, what's the broader point here, Paul? What are you getting at, man? And so I think it would do us well to kind of dissect uh, these three commands real briefly to get to the broader point. So the first one, and see, this, Paul makes my work easy because it's just two words that I have to understand uh, for each one. Rejoice always. Well, first, the first word, rejoice. A lot of people have the misconception that rejoicing is just kind of about being happy. You know, like, you're just sitting on your recliner or something. If you have a recliner, I don't. And you know, I'm as snug as a mug, or a pug. I guess pugs are pretty smug. And you're like, I'm just happy. That's kind of oftentimes what people think about rejoicing. You know, like you're just happy. What, it's, that's not so much what this word really gets at. It, it more so is, is about constantly expressing joy. That's what rejoicing is, expressing joy. And so when, when he says rejoice, it's like, okay, constantly express joy. But then it's like, well, then about what, Paul? Do I, do I rejoice about my little snug pug in a mug? <laughs> Paul gives us a hint that I think that would have gotten a cart cross to the Thessalonians, but maybe uh, isn't so clear to us. But we get a little hint in, in Philippians 3.1. He writes something similar to the church in Philippi, he says, rejoice, oh, get this, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And, and so when, when he's saying rejoice, I think he's saying rejoice in God. Don't forget that God came down to earth and died on the cross for you so that you could have a relationship with Him starting now and lasting into eternity. Don't forget that and let that fill you with joy. Let me put it this way. Fix your eyes on God and let that bring you joy. That will cause you to rejoice. And then he uses another word right after that. He says, always. There should never be a moment where there is no rejoicing in the Lord. But we can't forget about who Paul is writing this to. See, the church in Thessalonica, the young church who's just getting beaten up left and right, they're getting taxed more than everybody else. They're getting shunned and their friends are getting murdered. And you know what Paul's answer is? Rejoice. To the church where they're throwing their hands up and saying, now what? He says, rejoice. He says, fix your eyes on Christ and let that fill you. Let that, let that bring you joy. Let that help you express joy. We move on to, to the next point, pray without ceasing. First question is, what is prayer? I think it's talking, being, communing with God. I, I, I had a cool definition that I kind of got from Brother Lawrence. Uh, he has a book called uh, uh, Practicing the Presence of God, and it's a good read. I, I, I'd recommend it. Um, 
consciously being in the presence of God. I think that is what prayer is. Constantly being in the presence of God. And then up there it says continually. I like that translation. Uh, there's There's a specific Greek word that Paul uses there. He only uses it five times in the Greek New Testament. And so it's 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 uncommon, which means it's unique. He has a unique point that he wants to get across. And so this, this, uh, some translations will say unceasing. Some people or some translations will say without ceasing. This one kind of takes it and flips it on its head and says continually. What the point is really trying to get across is like a perpetual motion of prayer. A never-stopping, never-ending prayer. There should never be a moment where you are not praying. In other words, never stop praying. And then the last one is give thanks in all things. Well, giving thanks, I don't think I have to explain that a whole lot. This one says in all circumstances. Again, I'm the language, uh, language nerd here. Uh, the, the words that are used in that sentence are, it really just says in all. It doesn't use the word circumstances. It doesn't use the word things. Some, some translate things, some translate circumstances, whatever it is. It just says in all. The Greek word en panty. I know, I just said that in church. Forget about it. It's the Greek, all right? You can, you can blame Aristotle or something. In all. And I think, it's, I think circumstances, eh, that's a pretty good word. Things, yeah, that's a good word too. I, I think it transcends setting. Uh, or I, I, I think it's more so about, like, in all of space-time as a Christian... There should never be a moment where you're not praying or, or giving thanks. And you'll notice I'm starting to get a little repetitive about in all things, always, unceasingly, how they're kind of all communicating the same idea. That'll serve us well in a little bit. And see, if we remember the asyndeton thing and the staccato dealio, how when there's no conjunctions and it's its own section and it's a broader point, what I'm trying to do is piece these puzzle pieces together. What is this image forming here? We got rejoice always, fix your eyes on God and and let, let that bring you joy. We have give thanks in all things. There should never be a moment where you're not giving thanks to God for the blessings He's given your life. Pray without ceasing. There should never be a moment where you're not in the presence of God. And I'm, as I was constructing these, it was starting to spell the letters. Connect with God always. I think that's the broader point that Paul is trying to get across. And as I was praying over this message, and I was praying over this passage of Scripture, and I was trying to really figure it out, I just could not escape these words. Because all three of the commands he has have to do with connecting with God. And then in every single one of the commands, he says, don't stop doing this. You should always be doing this. And so that's where we get always. Connect with God always. I think that's the broader stroke of what this passage of Scripture is giving us. And again, don't forget these Thessalonians who are being persecuted, who are brand new to their faith. Paul is essentially saying the effects of always being connected to God infinitely outweigh the effects of the persecution and discrimination for these Thessalonians. 
Paul is pleading with these young, rough, beat-up Christians to always be connected with God. That is the essential in the Christian life that Paul wanted to communicate to them. You want one thing to do to please God? You want to know how to live the Christian life? He's telling them right here. He's handing them the card. Connect with God always. See, again, more language dealios. The type of verb he uses here. They're imperatives. Let me give you an example of imperative. I have a few dogs at home, and sometimes I wake up and I walk downstairs, and I'm the first one up. There, uh, there's just a heaping load on the carpet. Just, you know, and sometimes it's not solid. And you're like, oh, this is great. And so I see it. We, we have one dog who's very, very great. She's awesome. We have another dog. There's something messed up in her brain. And it's okay. We love her because she's cute. And so she, she uh, just about every other day, every other day, man, there's a poop on the carpet. And what, uh, sometimes I know it happened, so I just go back to bed and hope somebody else would deal with it. Um, but often, I can't do that all the time, you know. Uh, anyways, so I see it. And then I see the dog in her bed over there. And you know the first thing I say, at least in my household, I open the door, go outside, go outside. Her name is Grace, Grace, go outside. And then snap, a snap, go outside. It happens all the time. And she's, for some reason, she's deathly afraid for me. She's a rescue. We think that somebody, the person who had her before looked like me and an abuser or something like that. Um, sad story. I don't know. Um, and she never listens to me, but it's at least worth a try. Go outside! What am, what am I doing there? I'm not asking her to go outside. I'm not suggesting, hey, maybe you should go outside. I'm not instructing, hey, let's go outside. I am commanding, go outside. A command. That's what an imperative is. An imperative is a command. And those are the types of verbs that Paul uses when he, when he writes these things. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And the broader picture of connect with God always. They're not simply instructions. It's not simply an encouragement or a suggestion. It is a command. Paul is commanding that these Thessalonians connect with God always. And if we want to take one more shovel load into this imperative talk, when he, when he commands them, rejoice always, give thanks in all things, and, and, and pray without ceasing. They're not just commands, but they're promises. Because in order to command someone to rejoice always, there must be something to always rejoice about. In order to command someone to give thanks in all things, there must always be something to give thanks for. When you command someone to pray continually, that must mean you have unlimited access to God because of the finished work of Christ. And when we're taking the broader point, connect with God always. He is commanding us to connect with God always, which means we always have the opportunity to connect with God. And then, and then just the, the fun, the, fun the, the last clause of, of, this, of this passage for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
He underscores everything he just said. He said, connect with God always. Uh Uh-huh, I'm signing God's name on it. This is from God. You want to know what God wants you to do? You connect with God always. That's his will for you. God's will is for you to be with your Savior all the time. To these young Christians who are trying to navigate persecution and oppression, who are trying to figure out this Jesus thing, what does he say? Connect with God always. Again, he hands him the card. What do I do with this Christian life? What does God want me to do? Connect with God always. God's will for you is to connect with God always. Guys, Paul is writing the exact same thing to us too. The exact same thing. It's kind of how the Bible works a lot of the time. If this isn't essential for the Christian life, if this is what Paul prescribes in the midst of extreme adversity, if this is what Paul deems necessary for a Christian to get, for them to understand in their everyday Christian life, we can't go another minute, can't go another hour, we can't enter into this new year forgetting to connect with God always. God's will is for you to connect with God always. See, as we enter into this new year, everyone's talking about their new hopes and their new dreams and and everything going on in the world. Well, here, I want to tell you, you know what God wants you to do this year? He wants you to connect with Him always. You want to know what your New Year's resolution should be? Sure, your weight loss program can make the list, but it should not be above. Connect with God always. And my hope is that you don't take this for granted like I do all the stinking time. Sometimes it's so easy to forget that about 2,000 years ago, God Himself, He came down to earth. His name was Jesus. 100% man, 100% God. He walked the earth just like me and you. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And then He decided to take on what we could not. He had a cross on his back as he was walking up to a hill with you and me in mind. He was thinking about us when his nails went through his hands and through his feet and he was hung up on a cross to die for you and me. So your sin, the punishment for your sin, all the the guilt and the shame that that sin brings with it. All of that that just stacks on top of us. All of the sin that continues to separate us from God, that stops us from connecting with Him, has been removed. It has been put on Jesus Christ on His death. 
Your sin is now forgiven. There is nothing separating you from God anymore. Do you know what that means? We get to connect with the Almighty, the righteous, the all-knowing, the all-powerful God who knows you, who loves you and is always working for you. He died to connect with you. He wants to connect with you. You never have to be alone again. My question is, will you connect with Him? Will you, in 2022, will you make it your priority to connect with Him? See, if someone asked me that question... I don't, my answer would be, I certainly will do everything I can to. I know I'm not perfect. And I think the only person who could perfectly connect with God all the time is Jesus. But I think we can certainly try and get close. It'll take practice, and it'll take a lot of effort to continually connect with God always. But we can sure as heck get pretty close to that. I think the better question is how. How do we connect with God always? See, I, I kind of crafted our main point out of, out of the, the, the three commands that Paul gives. Rejoice with God, or sorry, uh, re, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. That built our main point. I think all we have to do is just reverse engineer that, and then we have our application right here. How do we connect with God always? Here you go. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all things. When you're at work and you're clicking on a screen all day, what does it look like to connect with God always? What does it look like to be in the presence of God at all times? To be rejoicing and giving thanks when you're stuck in traffic. Guys, nobody hates traffic more than me. We can debate that outside if you want. Um, Stuck in traffic, when you're at work, when family life is hard, when you're at home and your kids are giving you some tood. What does it look like to connect with God always? What does it look like to rejoice, give thanks, and pray? Maybe when you feel like you don't know where you're headed. You don't know what's next in life. Maybe you've gotten stuck in sin that you're just trying to figure out. Maybe when you're not sure where the next paycheck is coming. You don't know what things are going to look like in the next few months, and it's just uncertainty and the anxiety is just weighing you down. In every day-to-day -day life when things are completely normal, what does it look like to rejoice always, give thanks in all things, and pray unceasingly? And again, we can't do it perfectly. But we can sure as heck get pretty close. I'll end with this illustration. Maybe an eyeball in this book up here. Uh, I'm not actually using the book. As a matter of fact, there's a knife in the book. Ooh, look at that. Fancy knife. I think it was used for like chopping a fancy type of meat. Um, anyways, I've been binge watching this show called Forged in Fire. Oh, it's such a good show. They're blacksmiths, and they take they just take raw things of steel and 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 they turn it into a knife. And it's just the most cool thing to watch ever. Uh, and, you know, they got the anvil. They got the hammer. Ding! Ding! And it 
it's so fun because so many things can go wrong all the time. It's just like any other game show, except blacksmiths. And I'm like, yeah, this is a man's man thing. Uh, but I kind of got my mom into it just a little bit. So I'm like, well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's an everybody thing. Anyways, so if you make it through the first round, in the second round, you are instructed to make a handle for your knife. And see, we usually, when a knife is created, there's this, you know, the blade, there's the blade, and then there's the part that isn't really seen, but it's there. There's the tang. Everybody say tang. One, two, three. Tang. See, like the, 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 the orange juice type deal, you know, tang? Anyways, see, you see the silver spine going down? That's the tang. It's a, it's, a, it's a continuation of the blade that gets used specifically for the handle. And so when you make the handle, you have to get these two pieces on either side. Usually they're made out of wood or epoxy or something. They're called scales, right? Kind of like a lizard, scales. And they, 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 right on there. And so it is the job of the bladesmith. That's what they're called. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Bladesmith, right? I, you know, if I walked around and I could call myself a bladesmith, I would every day. Uh, the bladesmiths, it is their job to take the scales and attach it to the tang to make a comfortable handle. And you would have no idea how important a comfortable handle is because so many things can go wrong if the handle ain't right. You'll also notice there are these three pins here. It is the job of the bladesmith to connect the scales to the tang. How do they do that? They do that a few different ways. The first is they put the pins through the tang and the scales. And that connects it. That's, a, that's called a mechanical connection. It, it, it's, it's physical. It's keeping it together. And then on top of that, they lather the whole thing in epoxy, which is like very super, super, super glue. And they lather it all. And then eventually, some knives, this one doesn't have it, there's a, a butt cap, or it's also called a pommel. They add a pommel to it. And it serves its own purpose. But it, it serves a purpose of like, if you want to like do that to somebody with the butt. Uh, but it also keeps the whole thing together. And then they epoxy that. And even sometimes there's a guard in the front, which keeps your hand from slipping off and also keeps everything intact. They use the pins to connect the scales to the tang. They use the epoxy to connect the scales to the tang. They use the butt cap to connect the scales to the tang. Put this down for a second. And God is saying, connect with me always. And he gives us the tools right in front of our face. He says, to connect the scales to the tang, to connect us to God. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all things. Those are our, those are our pins. That's our epoxy. That's our butt cap. That is what is going to get us connected to God. So as, as we go into this new year, what my thought in my head, and I hope yours is too, is let's be a church that connects with God. Let's be a people, individuals who come together on a Sunday morning at Momentum, who are connected with God, who know our Savior, who can get through just about anything because we are connected through God. To God, excuse me. So, if you guys are or want to take a step in this direction, we have a little handout. I believe it's going to be at the info center. And it, and it just guides you through prayer. And it even guides you through fasting also. 
And you take those and, and you can follow their specific instructions on it. And not only that, but I'd encourage you to find yourself holy habits. Places where you can give thanks. Places where you can rejoice and pray and be in the presence of God. So we're going to do one more song and, and, and I'll pray us out. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for Thank you for today, and thank you for, for just everything you're going to do today, God. I just ask that in our hearts, you, your Holy Spirit just presses on us to connect with you always. That we get as close to that as we possibly can in our lifetime. So we give that to you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.